Chapter 57 of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doudridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 57 A Vain Appeal. Possibly I might do something with him, said Mr. Golightly to me one day. I have not much power of persuasion, but if I put a few simple truths before him and showed him the wickedness of his present course, and how wanton is the injury he has done you, without even the shadow of good to himself, he might try even now to make amends. I can easily get an introduction to him. I suppose you would forgive him if your dear wife were restored. It would be a noble thing to do. Too noble for me, I greatly fear, but he will never forgive me. If he hated me when I had never harmed him, what is he likely to do now?' As yet I had concealed from this conscientious pastor my recent act of rudeness, for I could not expect him to look upon it as the discharge of a Christian duty. But now it seemed better that he should have the story from me than from someone who might give an unkind turn to it. And he sensibly perceived that as the thing was done it was useless now to remonstrate. It was not a magnanimous act at all, he replied with a grave shake of his head, but allowance must be made for provocation. Even Mr. Bullrag must feel that, if he has at all a candid mind, I should not let that discourage me in the least, if you think fit to accept my services, and after all your kind acts to me and my dear child, it would be a very happy day for me, one of the happiest of my life, if I could really help you. Let me try, I entreat you. It can do no harm, and it may do good." You would only expose yourself to rudeness. He is rough and contemptuous in his manner and has no respect for anyone. His rudeness would not injure me, but I do not think that he would show any. I am well acquainted with a cousin of the lady whom he seeks to marry. He was my churchwarden at Knightsbridge, and I became much attached to him. Mr. Bullrag, for his own sake, will not be rude to anyone so introduced. This, of course, made a great difference." and as Mr. Golightly pressed the matter, I consented gratefully, though without seeing even the smallest chance of any good to come from it. However, it would enable me to hear something of that scoundrel after whom I now began to feel a sort of stupid hankering, such as the young robin has for the cat, or the mallard on the mirror about the strange proceedings of that dog among the beads. A more unpromising embassy might no man ever undertake, and having still some pride alive in spite of deadly blows to it, I begged my reverend and revered, as well as much beloved friend, to understand and to make it understood that he went as no envoy of mine, but simply at his own suggestion. That shall be plain enough, he said. He shall not even know that I asked your leave. It must have been a strange and curious thing to see this encounter of two men, as different as any two men can be, and as far apart as heaven and hell. Not having been there, I cannot describe it, and I could not have done so if I had been present, but from what was told me afterwards the result was much as follows. Donovan Bullrag received his unknown visitor politely. He offered him a cigar, but whether in sport or courtesy was not plain, and then he said with his usual slowness, leaning back in his chair and thinking, "'Sunbury? I think Sir Gilbert says Sunbury is a pretty village on the river. I know it a little, and I ought to know it better, for my mother's family live there. 
and an aunt of mine, Miss Coldpepper, must be one of your oldest inhabitants. But owing to family circumstances, we do not see very much of her. How is she? I hope she supports the church, as all people of property should do. The church requires no support. Mr. Golightly was always annoyed at the idea of the church being patronized, except what she has from above, Mr. Bullrag, and from the proper zeal of gratitude of her dutiful children. To be sure, that's exactly what I meant. I trust that my aunt is a dutiful child, but I know with sorrow that we do not all value our privileges as we should. You find that the case sometimes, I fear. Too often, I regret to say, I do. Mr. Golightly was always grave with anyone who spoke gravely. But we do not restrict the opportunities of doing good to parishioners. We have many useful institutions in our parish. Perhaps you would like me to mention a few. And if, with your very kind feelings toward the church and anxiety about your aunt's discharge of Christian duties, you should feel impelled to contribute, I happen to have the subscription list of six of the most meritorious, all in urgent need of funds, and carry the receipt forms in my pocket. Downey was caught in his own net very neatly, and the parson heard him mutter, Confound that, Sir Gilbert. This is a little too bad of him. Uh, I don't quite see. I am sure this is most kind of you, but with the many claims upon my small resources, perhaps it would be better to allow my mother the benefit of this opportunity. You must not blame, Sir Gilbert. I did not come upon a begging errand. I intrude upon you for quite a different purpose. A sad and most mysterious thing has happened in our parish. Mr. Golightly watched him closely, to note the effect of every word. A lady, newly married to an excellent young man, one of our oldest families, suddenly disappeared last May, and has not since been heard of. You need not tell me that, I know all about it. Bullrag replied without any change of face, but in quite a different tone and speaking quickly. I could not help knowing it, considering that the girl's father was my mother's husband. She married without our knowledge and is gone without it. My mother, who has been most kind to her, never met with such ingratitude. I do not intrude into family matters. I have nothing to do with that part of the case. I am here simply to discharge my duty— I came by nobody's suggestion. Only as the clergyman of the parish I feel myself bound to do all I can to restore peace and happiness and to right a great wrong. It is very good on your part, and I wish you all success. It would appear to be rather an affair for the police. I am sorry that I have an important engagement. Would you like to see my mother on the subject? No, thank you. My business is with you. I will speak plainly and as an old man to a young one. All who know of this mysterious affair believe that it is of your doing. Hear me out, and without anger as I speak. If from some ill will to either of those two, or for any other reason of your own, you have contrived to part them, be satisfied now with what you have done. For many months now you have caused the deepest misery, doubt, suspense, and almost despair. You have crushed two young hearts which perhaps never will recover. You have desolated a simple, innocent, and tranquil home. Remember, I beseech you, what is manly, good, and just. I will not urge religion, because perhaps you have little sense of it, but even so you know how short our time is here, and how paltry it is to injure one another. 
Even now, if you will do what is right, I will pledge myself that you shall be forgiven. Your share in it shall not be published to the world. You will have had more revenge than the bitterest foe can long for, and you will escape the penalty. The clergyman urged that last point because he saw whom, or rather what he had to deal with, a thing that could not be called a man, for during his description of our misery he had detected a glow of fiendish exultation in the crafty eyes he was observing. This proved to him more clearly than if he had seen the deed that the guilt lay on that brutal soul. It is a sad loss to us, my dear sir, replied Bullrag, looking at him steadfastly, that we have not the privilege of living in your parish, not only for the sake of the deep interest you feel in the private affairs of your parishioners, but also because you possess very largely that extremely rare gift, eloquence. I should be trembling in my shoes if I had anything to tremble for, but knowing no more than you do, and perhaps much less about this strange affair, I am simply astonished at your waste of words. And if you are not a clergyman, I should say, your impertinence. I have never been charged with impertinence before. Even if I am wrong, there is nothing of that about it. But if I have been mistaken, I have done you much wrong as a gentleman, and I will beg your pardon, if you will do this. Take a sheet of paper and write these words. Upon my honor as a gentleman, I have had nothing whatever to do with the disappearance of Kitty Orchardson, signed Donovan Bullrag. It would be easy enough to do, but I do not choose to degrade myself. If you think again, you will see that you were wrong in proposing a thing so disgraceful. If you will not apologize without that, I must even put up with your insult. I believe that you are a good man, Mr. Golightly, and deeply attached to your parish, sir, but impulsive and hasty and illogical. A fault upon the right side, no doubt, but too hasty, sir, much too hasty. I must beg you to excuse the same fault in me, for I cannot wait another moment. When Mr. Golightly came back, he declared that but for that glow in Bullrag's eyes he could well have believed in his innocence for he had never known any one meet a charge, when conscious of guilt, with the same entire self-possession and unfaltering readiness, and he feared that there was no such thing as mercy in his composition. He is a foe to be dreaded, Kit, he continued, looking at me sadly. There is nothing, however bad, that he would stick at. He is resolute, calm, and resourceful, I have met with some men, not very many, in the course of my work as a clergyman, who seem to have forgotten and foregone all the good, all the kind, all the tender part of the nature which God has given us. St. Paul described such beings, one can scarcely call them human, and so from a different point of view does Aristotle. It is useless to deny that they exist, although one would like to deny it, people in whom there does not remain one particle of good feeling to appeal to. Yet according to memoirs of some great Christians, they have been such at one time. I will not deny it, though I have never known an instance. It is possible that by the power of grace such a one may be converted and live, as a brand snatched from the burning. But I hope Bullrag won't be so at any rate, and I don't think there is much fear of it. I hope that he will have his portion. Hush, Kit, hush! 
I pray you not to imitate him. Why is he as he is, but from indulging the evil part in early days and famishing the better side? But I have brought you some news of your father-in-law, the learned and good Professor Fairthorne. You have looked in vain, I think, in that scientific journal, as it seems to be called, which you took in on the purpose. I saw this quite by accident in the globe as I came home, and although it cannot help you, I thought you might like to see it. He handed me the paper, and I read as follows among the short paragraphs of news received that morning. The steamship Archytas, as our readers may remember, proceeded on a cruise of investigation and deep-sea soundings last April or May, being fitted out specially for that purpose by a well-known learned society. Our government, with its usual penurious system, has left all these questions of prime importance to our commerce and intercourse with the world entirely to private enterprise, and we acknowledge with shame that we never could have laid a cable across the Atlantic without the knowledge for which we are indebted to the broader and more enlightened policy of the United States. Unhappily, these are now involved in an internecine struggle which must retard for many years the progress of civilization, and we think that England owes a debt of gratitude to the learned association which has stepped in to man the breach by voluntary efforts. Some uneasiness has been felt concerning the safety of this gallant band, which is under the charge, as we need not say, of one of our most distinguished servants, the well-known Professor Fairthorne. For no tidings of the Archytas and her gallant company had reached this country for many months, but we are happy to announce, in advance of our contemporaries, that the exploring ship was spoken, in latitude and longitude not decipherable on the telegram, for it can hardly have been 361 and 758, which are the apparent figures, by the clipper ship Simon Pure, which arrived at Liverpool last night. The Simon Pure took letters from her, which will be received with avidity, also instructions that any letters for the members of the expedition should be addressed to Ascension Island, if posted in Great Britain before the end of November. We hope to give further particulars shortly. Without loss of a day I took advantage of this opportunity, but rather as a matter of duty than of hope or promise, and as my letter led to something, I will venture to insert it here, though a very old-fashioned production. My dear and respected father-in-law, you will be surprised and shocked to hear that shortly after your departure your daughter Kitty, my dear wife, left me apparently of her own accord, without a word of explanation or any cause that I can even imagine. We had lived in perfect happiness and love. No cross word had ever passed between us. Instead of growing tired of one another, we had become more and more united. I am well aware that the home I could give her was not such as she, with all her attractions, might have aspired to, but she knew that before she married me, and to all appearance she was perfectly satisfied, and as happy and lively as the day is long, and we had every hope, with kind friends round us, of improving our condition from year to year. And I say on the honor of an Englishman, and on the faith of a Christian, that never in thought, word, or deed had I wronged her, or been untrue to her. In short, she was all my life in this world, and I loved her even to infatuation, and fondly believed that she loved me likewise. Yet on the evening of May 15, 1861, when I returned to our cottage at the time arranged, and in full expectation of finding my dear wife, she was gone without a single word, and from that day to this, although I have sought and others have sought high and low, 
Not a trace of her can be obtained, except as mentioned afterwards, and not a line has come from her. It is the deepest mystery I have ever heard or read of, and, when it will end, God only knows. She was much too sensible and pure and loving to have left me thus for any trifle, or for the sake of any other man. Sometimes I fear the very worst, that she may have met with some fatal accident, or have been decoyed away and killed. But who could do that to my innocent kitty? Surely not the vilest man ever born. My suspicions rest very strongly on a person well known to you, Donovan Bullrag, but I cannot bring it home to him. We believe that we have traced my wife after a search of many weeks to Woking Road Station on the London and Southwestern Line, but there all further clue vanishes, and we cannot identify or even guess at the elderly man who appears from our inquiries to have taken her thus far. My uncle Cornelius Orchardson and my aunt Miss Parslow of Leatherhead have spared no pains or expense in helping me in my hopeless search, but nothing comes of it, and I almost despair. I need not ask you, if you know anything which can throw any light on this horrible puzzle, to write to me immediately, but my hopes are very faint, because you were far at sea before it happened, as was proved by your kind message received from the captain at Falmouth, which my dear Kitty read to me, and for which I beg to thank you. With all good wishes for your success in the important work you are engaged on, and hoping for your speedy return, I am with all respect and love your unfortunate son-in-law, Kit Orchardson. After finding out how much it would cost, I posted this letter with my own hands, and the gloomy winter closed upon me, with nothing but its dreary round of heavy ponderings and lonesome work. End of chapter 57